So into Ephesians 3, by the way, I was at uh, Epping last Sunday morning preaching there. Um, I'm out tonight preaching. I don't know. This is new for me, all this. Um, God's ultimate purpose. I thought I'd pick that sign this morning. It kind of summarizes something what we're going to be saying at the very end of Ephesians chapter 3. Let me start, first of all, by reading down from Paul's prayer from verse 14, because I'm going to refer to it a bit. Ephesians 3.14 For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. It's really the whole family. It's the family of God. I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory. Notice that word, glory. To be strengthened with power in the inner man through his spirit and that the Messiah, Christ, may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width and height and depth of God's love and to know the Messiah's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Capital F, I would suggest, that's another reference to Jesus. He is the fullness of God. Amen. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think, imagine, according to the power that works in us. And now we come to our text for this morning. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Two weeks ago in verse 20, we... We saw that God is great, God is able, he's infinitely wise and kind and strong. That is why we pray and call on him, because he is able. We're not just having a witter or a mumble or a complaint, we're talking to the Lord who can change things, who can do things, because he's all-powerful, all-competent. He is wiser and better and stronger than we can imagine, so his plans are always better than our plans. Because his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His power and authority is not just at work, sort of out there, but it's at work in us and through us. So because God is great and powerfully at work in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. That is my personal motto text. It's been with me for 40 years or so now. When in 2009 I had to preach to a group of senior Elim leaders as part of my kind of final acceptance process to become an Elim minister, I chose that text and I preached for exactly five minutes. I was given five minutes and I finished like at four minutes, 59 seconds, I think it was. I did time myself at home. On this text, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, and forever and ever. Amen. I'll come to glory, but let me deal with the word church first. I'd have liked to put an image up there, but uh, the internet, Google, and other search engines seem to think that church means an old stone building. Then I suppose that the phrase glory in the church will for some people mean an image in their mind of a particularly good church meeting. Oh, it was glorious. Heaven came down. You know. 
So I want to say that this phrase, glory in the church, really has nothing to do with any building. And it's far more than any particular meeting or event. It's the church as a whole, all the people of God in all time, in all places. And then every individual Christian who is a member of the body, the church of Jesus Messiah. Church in the language of scripture is not a building and much more than a meeting. It's the community and communion of the saints, the family of God, the people of Messiah. It's the body of Christ of which we are individually members. Paul doesn't just say you, let that God be glorified in you or even you all. He says in the church, the whole called out community, for that's what the Greek word means. But the whole community includes each and every Christian believer. The body is made up of many members. And let me remind you again, I know this is uncomfortable on a Sunday morning when you're feeling cosy in a nice warm room and you're being dulled to sleep by my dulcet tones. <laughs> but you and I are no less church on a Monday morning than we are on Sunday morning. You're the same person with the same calling. To him be glory in the church of Jesus Messiah, the body of Christ, the community of the saints, the children of God, the army of the Lord. We could keep on adding to that. That's where he's going to be glorified. Then we need to think about the word glory. We need to remember that the word glory has been tracking through this book of Ephesians in salvation, in his church. God's plans, God's, God's redeeming purpose in Jesus will result in the praise of his glory. I need to say some things about the glory of God. First, we might assume that since Scripture speaks of our giving God glory, it means our speaking and singing and praising his name. Well, it includes that, but it's more than that. We don't just give God glory by saying good things about it. And then we might think about that visible Shekinah glory, the, 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 this, this glowing, probably a ball of light and fire, it may have included smoke as well, which sat above the mercy seat in the Ark of the Covenant. And, and, and the visible sign of God's glory. And, and by the way, that same fire and light shone out of Jesus when he was transfigured before his disciples. It's, the, it's, it's seeing the, the light and purity and holiness and majesty of God. But the Bible often, by when it talks about God being glorified, more often means this. That God is imaged and honoured in what he does. Let's go to John's Gospel. John 2. John reporting Jesus turning water into wine at the Cana wedding. Remember that one? Yes. Great big pitchers of water and Jesus turned all these gallons of water into wine. Good wine too because the, the steward of the feast said, usually when people have had enough to drink, in other words, more than enough to drink, you bring out bad wine because they won't notice the difference. But you've saved the really best wine till last. So let me tell you this. Jesus makes re things into real wine and he makes really good wine too. Jesus performed this first sign in Cana of Galilee. Notice these words. He displayed his glory. Did his face shine at that time? But what he did displayed his, the Son of God's, glory. And his disciple 
saw it, in other words, and believed in him. Wow, he just did that. They saw something of who he is. I like to talk about God's glory and two words that I used many years ago, preaching here, 2008, late 2008, early 2009, somewhere around that time. I don't know if you, any of you remember those times, but there was Robert, Rob, Ashok, Jalalabad, and myself, and we were the three elders. And I remember preaching a sermon on this. God has always looked for a vessel that he can fill with himself. And a vehicle that will then carry his presence, his image, into a fallen world. A vessel and a vehicle. And poor Asher had that Indian thing that he couldn't pronounce his W's, you know. A vessel and a vehicle, I remember that. God looks for a vessel to fill and a vehicle to carry. And throughout the Old Testament, you get images of this. How many of you read that beginning of Ezekiel? And there's this strange chariot with four wheels and heavenly creatures on the wheels. And, whoa, that's like weird, man. Yeah, but you get the picture. God is mobile and he's being carried around. He's moving with his purpose. Yes? He's not out there, away there, gone somewhere. He's there and he's active. God wants to be known as the moving God, the active God. And some of my friends years ago used to talk about, you know, something remarkable happened in church. Oh, God really moved. And I used to have this impression, where did he move to? <laughs> but what they mean, he, you know, he was active, <coughs> doing something. Something, someone that he can fill with himself so that they carry his image. That's why God made man, so that man would carry his image. His glory. The vessels to be filled and the vehicle carries. He's both seen and through the thing or person he chooses. Invisible attributes are put on display through his vessel and vehicle. And there are lots of images in the Old Testament. I've already mentioned Ezekiel and the chariot of God. But one powerful one is the tabernacle. You see, there is, I'm not trying to explain all this to you this morning, but this is a better picture than the temple which replaced the tabernacle. The, tabernacle, the temple was not an improvement, it was, a, it was a subtraction. Because in the tabernacle, God had his tent pitched right in the middle of the camp of Israel. So if you imagine God's tent is here, and all the tribes are all the way around him. He was right in the middle. And right in the middle of the camp of Israel, God's tent is there. And over his tent, above the place where the Ark of the Covenant is, and the Shekinah glory is shining on top of the Ark of the Covenant, above that part of the tent is a great big pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. You know, the queen has a royal standard that waves above wherever she is at the time. And when, she, when they drive her out of Windsor, the flag comes down. And when she arrives at Buckingham Palace, the flag goes up. God, this was God's testimony, God's flag. I'm here. I'm right here. And when that cloud moved, they had to move. They had to pack up, pack up the tabernacle and get it all to ready. And everybody's packing their tent as well. And then up, everything goes on their shoulders and they follow the cloud. God led them by that visible sign of his presence. He lived among them and he led and directed them. Now all of that is a picture to us of something. 
Even Moses, during his times of encounter with Yahweh, was filled with something of the glory of God. And his face shone for a while. Because the longer he was away from the glory of God, the more it faded. So he put a veil over his face, not to hide visible glory, but the fact that glory was fading. You can read in 2 Corinthians 4. Check it out. The fading... Sorry, 2 Corinthians 3, the fading glory of God. These two examples and more in the Old Testament were only shadows of a greater reality. People say, oh, I wish we could go back to the Old Covenant and see those things. What? What? You haven't got it. What we have is the real deal. That is shadow. That's like kiddies' drawings compared to the reality that is ours in Jesus. God's glory in Messiah Jesus. Jesus came as the true and full, complete vessel and vehicle for the glory of God. That's what John is telling us at the start of his gospel. Look at this and look at what the word means, literally in the Greek. The word Jesus became flesh and took up residence. He tabernacled amongst us. The word means he pitched his tent. Yahweh pitched his tent in the camp of Israel. Jesus pitched his tent among us. We observed his glory. Various times, different ways, we saw who he is. The glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus was the fullness of God, full of grace and truth. And he tabernacled, he lived and spoke and acted amongst us and we could see him. So, my friends, read the Gospels because when you read the Gospels, you listen to and observe Jesus there, you are hearing and seeing God. The true and full image of God, the fullness of God. Jesus is the complete and perfect image of the Father. God has put forward his Son who has become the God-man, God in flesh. And he has lived among us as our example and died for us as our sacrifice and risen again to be our king. And all the world is now not commended but commanded to honour him, serve him, obey him. God is glorified when Jesus is glorified. And those who do not honour the Son do not honour the Father. Whilst those who honour the Son Honour the Father also. And if you might notice there, I'm paraphrasing Jesus' own own words. So Paul writes, to him be glory in the church. Now my first response to that years ago, probably as a teenager, when when this caught my attention, this verse was, it must be the wrong way around. The translators have flipped it around. It must say to glory to to Jesus and then in the church. You know, you can't make the church more important than Jesus. And eventually when I learned how to handle a bit of New Testament Greek, I went and found out for myself. And it says, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. So it puzzled me. Well, in the course of time, of course, Jesus did come first. And he began to build his church. Of course, Jesus was the only full image of the invisible God. Of course, he preceded the church and he's greater than the church. But now that the Lord Jesus has returned to the Father and has sent the Holy Spirit, the glory of God in this world has to be seen and carried through us, his people. Jesus has been received into heaven. We are his body on earth representing him. In fact, Jesus tells us, you go to Matthew Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, that we are now the light of the world. 
were to be like a city that is set on a hill, like a, like a candlestick that is up on a candlestick, on, on, a, on a, you know, what do you call it, on a stand. You don't have to shove it under the bed, you know, you'll have a hot bed. Probably have no bed. It stands on a candle stand so that it lights the whole room. We're to be the light of the world. We're to let the way we are, the things we do, so shine before an unbelieving world that they see us and who are what we are and what we do, our good works, and they glorify who? Our Father who is in heaven. While I am in the world, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Guess who is now he's not in the world? You and me the church. So despite the roller coaster of over 40 years now of experience of church leadership, I haven't given up and I can't give up on the local church because God will be glorified through the church. It's a promise, not just for the far future, but for now. It is now that he's able to do far above all that we can ask or think. It's now that his spirit is at work in us. And it's now before this age closes and Jesus returns to raise the dead, judge the world, and bring in God's eternal kingdom. It's now that the glory of God must and will be seen in and through the church for the honour of the Lord Jesus. And guess what we call ourselves here? We call ourselves Lighthouse. Why? Because... Frankly, one of the people who was leading it back then and continued to lead it afterwards has a passion that we now are the light of the world. Jesus will be imaged and honoured through his chosen vessel and vehicle, which is now his church. We don't just, we're not just carrying a message, we're carrying his presence. We're carrying his image. We are here to do his works. It's not just about words. Words are good. But who we are and what we do equally matters because we are not just called to bear a witness, we're called to be witnesses. In the same way that you send an ambassador from the United Kingdom to wherever in the world, Russia, for instance, topical. He's there not just to deliver messages, he's there to represent who is, who he, who is, where he's from. And truthfully, he doesn't even represent HM government. He represents the Queen. He's Her Majesty's ambassador to them. So I want to tell you again this morning that church matters. Because it's through the church that God is going to be glorified in Christ Jesus. Through the church. In and through us. Personally and collectively who we are when we're out there in the world, who we are together as a witness to the world, as a community living in another community, as a community of believers living amongst unbelievers. It all matters. It all has significance. Every bit of our lives has significance. There's nothing private, secular. There's nothing, oh, that, that, I don't include that in being a Christian. It all matters. Because we now live to bear his image and to bring him glory. That's why your full engagement in his church and local church in particular really matters. We ask you to consider partnership with us, expressing your commitment to pray and give and learn and work together with us as a fellowship to see the glory of God in the church and in Christ Jesus. Those who float from church to church Sunday to Sunday, I have to say, we're going to look at it in Ephesians 4, aren't being built and probably aren't building. Every one of us needs real connections 
Again, Ephesians 4, we'll come to it. Relationships, fellowship. We need to serve and be served. We need to encourage and be encouraged. We need to teach and be taught. Give and receive. Support and be supported. That's church, folks. God's glory in the church and in Messiah Jesus. There's, there's two movements going on here. Grace is being supplied by God through Jesus to us. And glory is returning from us through Jesus to God. Grace flowing to us, glory flowing back from us. The church is in Messiah Jesus and belongs to him. So God is glorified in the church which is in Jesus so that God is glorified in Jesus through the church. We exist to be to the praise of the glory of his grace. God's glory is is for now and for the future. Both now and for the future. And it sums up in this, this phrase here. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. Now you've got to have a living, um, uh, populating, that is, to, that is to say repopulating, making babies, population to have more generations. When there's no more marriage and there's no more giving birth and there's no more generations. So that's talking about now. A historical now. From now onwards until the end of the age, God is going to be glorified in the church and in Messiah Jesus. Except it's the other way around. It's the grace of God, the supply of God, the goodness of God, the mercy of God, the power of God flowing from him through Jesus to the church. And glory being reflected back through Jesus to God. Throughout all generations. You see, I realize, this is how I got my head around the fact that it said church before Jesus. I realize that Paul is said, says here, now... And he finishes forever and ever. There's something which is happening now and there's something else which, which will then take off forever and ever. Paul is telling us that something happens from here onwards. Jesus has come full of grace and truth, the very image of the glory of God and the fullness of God revealed in a man. But the Lord Jesus has now gone back and commissioned his church and lives in and among us through the Holy Spirit so that that tabernacling with us is still happening by the Holy Spirit, so that from time, from that time, the resurrection and ascension of Jesus, when John calls that him being glorified, returned to glory. Even to the last day, this order is exactly right. God will be glorified in the church and therefore in Christ Jesus. It's through us that Jesus will receive the honor that is due to him throughout all further generations in this age and then forever and ever. And the generations there may even point to just a long line of descendants, perhaps back again, as we've seen before, to the Abrahamic promise that in his seed, which Galatians says is Jesus and the followers of Jesus, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now that statement, powerful as it is, is one of the ways in the Bible that what I call, or we, we all call, theologians call, the mission of God is expressed. Have anybody heard of that phrase, the mission of God? That's from a book by, by, by C. Wright, not, not Tom Wright, Andrew Wright, uh, Christopher Wright. It's a good book, Mission of God. Let me give you a scripture that sums up the mission of God. Hebrews 2.14. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord 
as the waters cover the sea. That is God's prophetic purpose. He is going to fill the world with the knowledge of himself, the knowledge of his glory. He's going to do it just as fully as the waters cover the sea. That's not the first or only place that the mission of God is stated in Scripture. At the beginning of the law, in Numbers 14, the Lord made this purpose clear. He swears by something. He says, as surely as I live and as surely as the whole earth is filled with the Lord's glory. Or some versions have will be filled. As surely as that's going to happen, I'm going to say this to you. He's swearing by something. He's making an oath. As truly as I live and as truly as I'm going to fill the earth with my glory. And his mission there is international, universal. The whole earth, all the nations, all flesh will see his glory. All flesh, it says in another place. Now I thought about this for only a moment yesterday and the words came flooding into my head and I think, I don't think I've learned them somewhere else, I'm just going to put them up on the screen for you. But this, I said, what's the mission of God? And straight away these words went like, like ticker tape through my head. The mission of God is to make himself known to all people in and through his son Jesus for his glory and for their joy. The mission of God is to make himself known to all people, all flesh, in and through his son Jesus for his glory and for their joy. It sounds good, doesn't it? But let me tell you what the wrong reaction to that is. Great, let it happen. See, whenever some of us hear something prophetic, think, oh, that'd be good. Yeah, yeah, good. Can't, I'll look forward to that. In other words, it's going to happen and all I need to do is just bide my time and kick my heels and you know, have a few snacks. Because it's, you know, it's, it's down the road. That is the wrong reaction when we hear God's prophetic declarations and purposes. That is fatalistic. Yeah, case sera, sera, whatever it will be. Yeah, it's fatalistic. We are called to live by faith, not by fate. It's also irresponsible. Oh, it's going to happen and maybe some people are going to be involved, but not me. I'm not going to have any responsibility or participation in that. It doesn't include me. It's irresponsible. It's also unbelieving because it's disobedient, because God calls us to his mission. He missions us in his mission. God's mission must be our mission as a community and as each individual Christian. There is... There, I put it in the wrong place there. There is no such thing as the mission of God. There is a, sorry, mission of the church, rather. Everybody writes their mission statement, and I, I kind of did because I was told I needed to, but truthfully, there is only one mission, which is the mission of God, because that's the one that's going to win in the end anyway. You might have a mission to raise some good kids for God. Great, but last thing leads for the glory of God, isn't it? You, you may not be around to see their whole life, but God, if you've put good foundation into them, and they continue to glorify God. Hey, you did a bit of the mission of God there. 
So the right response is this. What do I do? How do I play my part? Where do we start? I remember when we were doing a church launch, the kind of thing, and somebody turned up. We were doing a kind of just to serve the community day. And this, this guy walked in, and his first words to me, I mean, not of greeting, not who are you and how are you, he said, where do I start? I went, what? <laughs> I mean, found out the guy wasn't even a Christian. He'd just seen that we were going to do something to help the community, and he said, well, I'm coming. I thought, this guy's reaction is better than most Christians. It was, where do I start? We make lots of excuses for ourselves, but we're under a commission. We're under a mission. Remember how the Lord's Prayer starts? The pattern prayer? Our Father, I'll give you a modern version, our Father in heaven, honoured be your name. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, if we pray that, are we saying, over there, over there, oh, that one, that, that, that disruptive neighbour, oh, yeah, 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 that one. Where do we go? Here. And I take those things as three connected statements. May your name be honoured, May your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth. All three. Now, in reality. This isn't a wishful thinking about kingdom come. This is a God come and do something here. Please. And it's a volunteering statement. In me. Start with me. You see, this filling with God's glory and image comes down from Jesus to the church and then to each individual member of his body. Now, these are in the wrong order, but we now catch up. Haven't you know about the earthen vessels? Here it is in 2 Corinthians 4. The same God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory. There's the word again. In the face of Jesus Christ, who is the true image of the Father. But we have this treasure in clay jars, earthen vessels, so that this extraordinary power, authority, may be from God and not from us. We are clay jars, earthen vessels, not fine gold vessels, but we're filled with an incredible treasure, the glory and image of God. We are vessels to be filled and vehicles to carry his image, his grace, his wisdom, his power, not totally, but time after time, we just give away something that he's giving to us, almost like postmen, you might say. We're not even big vessels. We're really small Ordinary people filled with an extraordinary God. Earthen vessels. And because we could not be that, we could not do that, we could not naturally attain to these things, the honour, the glory for what he does in us, for us and through us, goes to whom? 
to him. Woe betide me if I start to steal glory. I'm going to lose that. If I start to steal, I want some of that. Yeah, that feels good. That feels good. I've got a bit of I'm somebody. Fool. Don't touch his glory. We sing it. People read it. All the glory, honor, and power belongs to the ending of the of, of the, the the prayer, the pattern prayer, which is not in all the Greek versions, but never mind. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory. Who gets the glory? Only he gets the glory. If there's any that I'm grabbing onto, I'm stealing it. So when weak people are liberated from their patterns of behavior and their addictions and everything else, who gets the glory? God. Because it's his power, not your willpower. It's his power. I'm going to suggest to you this morning, I'm going to say things quite firmly in a way. Don't ask the Lord to save people when you're not sure if he's saving you. You need to be conscious that God is at work in you by his grace, by his mercy, by his power, changing you, shaping you, challenging you, comforting you. But then you say to somebody, hey, I know this works. I'm not there yet, but he's at work. I did not say that you were perfect. I said that you know he is saving you. Don't tell him that he's good and wise and strong unless you're really trusting and depending upon him yourself. Remember the oxygen supply in the aircraft? Do you remember the talk, the steward? No, you don't. You're looking at your phone and doing something. So the stewards and the stewardesses are doing their little dance, you know, and they, they kind of do this thing. And, and you do that for yourself before you do it for somebody else? It's common sense in a way. I want to say that that's how you need to be about faith and salvation and living uprightly and, and all the things that add up to being a Christian. You need to be a thoroughgoing Christian who can then recommend being a Christian to other people. Oxygen mask on first and then help other people. Be a believing and obedient Christian yourself and then invite others to follow a bit of your example. Therefore, day by day, we pray for his glory, live for his glory, look for his glory. We live in hope of the glory of God, not just in the age to come, but even now, today. That's the very essence of hope. It's John Piper who talked about future grace, the purifying power of future grace. Let me put it this way. I may not get through this today, I may not see this prayer answered today, but I believe that it will. I'm confident in future grace. I'm hoping in the goodness of God and the kindness of God and the power of God and the wisdom of God. Therefore, it doesn't matter if it's not today. It'll, do, it'll happen. 
We live to see the glory of God and the goodness of God, as David said in one of his psalms, in the land of the living. That means, that's a posh way of saying now. So, we live in hope of the glory of God. And then we, we're looking for that today. Today. I wonder what the Father would do today by the Holy Spirit to one of the Lord Jesus if he could find people who were available. What would he do in and through us by the Holy Spirit for the honour of Jesus if we could get out of the way? And just be simple and obedient. And do whatever he sold us and say whatever he gave us. What might he do in us and through us, individually, collectively, if we would give him all the glory and take none for ourselves? I want us to pray and watch and be ready to speak and to act because God has great plans. He also has great power. He's able to do, remember, far above and beyond all that we can ask or think. God has not finished filling people as vessels and sending them as vehicles to carry his image, his presence, his glory into what is actually his world. It's nobody else's, that's a lie. It's his world. Every one of us is called to be just that. So here's the question. Are we living for the mission of God? We read it earlier in that prayer. That Messiah may live in your heart through faith, that you may know the love of God. It's the various dimensions. You may know the love of Jesus, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Jesus living in us through the Holy Spirit, tabernacling with us, filling our hearts, being seen in our lives. The invisible God filling these clay vessels, jars, with his treasure, making us to become vessels, <laughs> shabby ones, but never mind, vehicles, dusty ones, but never mind, for his glory. The almighty God empowering us weak humans to do his will, to do his works. This is the only way of life that will feed the deepest hunger in us, the core of our beings. For this reason, to know God and to enjoy him forever, we were made by him. No wonder that the glory is always his. It can never be ours, could it? It's his grace and his wisdom and his authority that causes and equips us to bring us to him, to bring us to him and to bring us to bring him glory. Now, now, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Because yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's uh, bow our heads and pray together. That kindly preempted me earlier on by talking about the things that we might think are satisfying us, but they're not. You see, we just got the mission wrong. Maybe we actually did believe the adverts that we're here to grab all we can before we die. 
to get and spend. Or to have them as many experiences, the bucket list before we go. We exist to know and to love and to enjoy the glory of God. And for some of us, we've had a taste of that at some time. And it's a bit like we put it aside and think, yeah, that was good, but I can't, I'm not sure I can have that. I don't think it can be like that. I believe God intends us to live full lives by his grace, for his glory. And the promise of Jesus is that when we follow him and he lives in us and we live in him and we keep his commandments, we will be filled with his joy. So like some adverts said, why settle for anything less? Perhaps this morning you've never really set out yet on the journey of being a Christian. It starts with this, to speak to the Lord Jesus and present yourself to him and ask for his help, for his intervention. Come and help me, Lord Jesus. Come and change me. Open your life to him and invite him to come and live at the very core of your being. In the same way that that picture I showed you is that God living in the tabernacle in the middle of the camp of Israel, God comes and lives in the very core of your life. And from the very core of your life begins to give you direction. Yes, it's challenging. Yes, it involves change. But it's always for your good, for your joy. Why don't you ask for him yourself right now? And others of us, we are always coming back, aren't we? One old hymn says, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Our feet are wandering feet. Well, this morning we tell our feet where to turn and go back. A bit like the prodigal son. I will return. The father comes again to us with his grace and says, come on, let's pick up. Let's regroup. Let's move forward. You may have your speech a bit like the prodigal son. Yeah, but this, this, this. Yeah, 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 but, but, but. And all he says is, come on. <laughs> this is what we're doing. This is where we're going. Don't tell God why you can't talk to him today and why you can't sort it out today because he's not impressed with, <laughs> with that. Just start and ask him for grace. Asking for grace. Father, we commit ourselves to you. We thank you for your great grace that has brought us close to you. For the cross that Jesus bore and carried and was nailed to. To make full reconciliation between yourself and us. We thank you that grace flows from heaven. Through Jesus to his church. We pray that we might understand that therefore grace flows back from us to Jesus and to the Father. Great glory flows back 
that we, the reason we exist and the purpose of our lives until the end of this life and this age is we live for your mission, to see the glory of God revealed to all flesh for your glory and for their joy. And it will be our joy to serve you well for anything else it seems, as I said earlier, anything else that seems to give us joy, true, real, deep joy, is only temporary and actually sick-making. It turns on us, has a bite. With you are the pleasures of life. With you are the true joys, even now, Lord. we will pursue you and your ways we are truly pursuing joy Lord Jesus we submit ourselves to you under your hand according to your promise those who humble themselves under the mighty hand of God he will exalt in due time and when we're attacked because we are submitted to you we can resist the devil and he will flee from us Security is found in resting under the shadow of your wings, the Almighty. Fill our hearts, Lord, with prophetic vision that we have a part to play to, as Lighthouse Church and also as individual Christians to bring forward, to push towards, to do something further to see the day when the earth is filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. Oh, may your kingdom come and your will be done. Amen. It's, it's time to, to break bread together. <laughs> Sorry, let me get my breath back. <clears throat> um, I don't, did we choose anyone to break bread? No.